Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What's up, friends? Grant Bolden here. Delighted to have you here listening to the Speaker Lab podcast for another episode of our Coaches Corner series. Now, there are a lot of fun perks in our Speaker Lab programs, but our amazing coaches who guide our students through the ups and downs of building a speaking business are the heart of our mission. Every single day, our coaches dedicate their wealth of experience to helping our students gain the clarity and the confidence that they need to make an impact as a professional speaker. Today, our Director of Student Success, Mary Alice Goldsmith, is going to be taking over the show alongside one of our other incredible coaches. And together, they're going to guide you through time-tested strategies and tough topics with the practical advice and wisdom that only comes through decades of experience. So whatever stage of your speaking journey that you're in, I know that you're going to benefit from this conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the mic to them. Enjoy. All right, today I have Rick Clemens on the Coach's Corner. How are you doing today, Rick? How's uh, how's the speaking world treating you? Pretty good. The speaking world's great. The students are amazing. Um, I actually just got done with a student who's been in our program who he is slaying it. He is knocking down five to $7,000 gigs. He's being flown to London and working for some big pharmaceuticals. Nice. So. Awesome. You can right. get booked well, and paid to speak, people. That's the message here. So um, Of course. Yeah, yeah. But it also ha- also has some challenges too. Sometimes, sometimes you cross some bridges you weren't prepared to have to cross. So, um, which I think is what we're going to talk about today. Like, what do you do when mm-hmm. everything kind of goes a little haywire? Or you get in a really tricky backed-in space. So, because um, it's not all it's not all roses and unicorns. Trust me, folks. <laughs> this is the tricky stuff. Any any building any business, right? It's uh, stuff's going to come up, and so. How do you handle it? How do you navigate it? And we're going to talk about some of that stuff today and, and we'll probably miss some things, but that's okay. Um, so I'd love to know, um, you know, one thing we talk about is saying yes to gigs that are perfectly in line and say, of course, saying yes to gigs that you're going to get paid for. And sometimes we even say, say yes to gigs that are free, believe it or not, but that's, that's another topic. But how and why should speakers say no to certain deals? So, yeah, this is really tough. I know when I was first getting going, it's like, just make the money, make the money, make the money. Now, I didn't need just the speaking income because I had a coaching practice. But once I kind of got a taste for, hey, there's money to be made here, I'm like, well, cool, let's go get this. And then you want that first gig, right? And then even after you get the first one, it's like, well, let's start doing this. Let's start doing this. And um, I quickly learned, like I did in my coaching practice. If I don't go after the stuff that brings me joy, don't need to sound like Marie Kondo there, but I'm going to go there with her. Um, you're going to really regret and you're probably going to make some decisions 
And it's better to say no to stuff that doesn't really align with you, whether it's a, a no because of I feel like I'm giving away too much. Not always because you're going to come down on price. I don't believe in coming down on price. I believe in adding value. But sometimes maybe that maybe that organization or that company or that conference, you're just like, yeah, let's do this. But I don't really, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be doing it. And I had one that I did. And I did it for a friend. And it was my biggest lesson of never do it again. Because it wasn't really aligned with my message and my brand. I made my message and brand work for it, but I wish I had never done it because it just it didn't align with me. It was really, really tough. So say no, in my book, say no to the things that don't feel right. Trust your gut instinct. Trust you know your intuition on that sort of stuff. Something else is going to come along to replace it and trust that. Yeah. I think too, I think it, this is such an important topic because as speakers, you really need to be the energy in that room. You set the tone. And so if you're working with an organization that's really pulling on your energy, you're going to get on stage and you're, you're, it's not that you're not going to be in your integrity, but you're not going to be in your integrity when it comes to the energy that you bring to that experience. And so I think that's really important to protect the brand and to protect the longevity of your business it has to be in alignment because that's going to fuel your energy and help you really show up at your, at your peak, uh, which we always want to show up as, as our best. Right. And so if you're, if you're working with an organization that just feels like it's working through quicksand, I, I would do a total gut check there and make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons. When some of those gut checks come, when you're not even to the stage yet. So it's going to be like, hey, they're starting to ask me like, well, we want you for 60. Oh, we're going to change that to like 45. That's not a biggie. I mean, this day and age, I don't know a whole lot of keynotes that go beyond 45 minutes anymore. But if then the next thing is, oh, and you know what? Could you change this part of your presentation? Or you know what? We've kind of changed direction and we really need this to be, if suddenly you are creating a completely customized talk, unless they're paying for that completely customized talk, this might be a sign that maybe you want to either stop and have another conversation with your meeting planners or have even a different conversation about, you know what, I think you guys are wanting to go a direction that doesn't feel really aligned with the direction this talk is going and I want to customize a little bit for you, but this doesn't feel right to me to take what I speak on and completely customize everything. And that's a tough conversation to have. I've only had it a couple of times. One time I said, you know what? I really love the direction y'all are trying to take this. And I feel like I'm probably not the best person to do this at this point. And it was far enough out that I wasn't leaving them hanging. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. You know, yeah, because I feel like let me, you know, and I what I did and I was lucky because I had a group of speakers that I'm like, I feel like these people could deliver that for you. Because I wanted to be in my integrity and I wanted to make sure they got what they wanted. If I get up there on stage and don't deliver what they wanted, that's a that's a blemish on my reputation. I would much rather the blemish come by me saying, I think somebody else is better suited then push through, Rick, get on that stage, try to make all your stuff fit 
And they go, yeah, thanks, but that didn't really fit, which is kind of what happened in this one that I talked about where I did it for my friend. I told him from the get-go, I don't think I'm your guy. I do not think I'm your guy. Well, I want something completely different. I'm like, but these are all technology people. I'm no longer in that arena. I'm coming from a heart-centered space. And I'm going to talk about how you dive in and really do things differently, which is great. But I knew tech, and I'm not knocking anybody who's in tech. I'm just saying these were CTOs, chief technology officers. They're not wanting to like hear this you know, motivational, inspirational kind of talk, even though it actually could really serve them. So dial into when they're wanting to make changes. Don't get too hung up if they say they're going to cut the time. The only time I get like, oh, that's a tough conversation is like, oh, by the way, Rick, you're supposed to have 45 minutes and it's 10 minutes before you're going on stage. Like, we really need you to do this in 30. Okay, that's a little bit different conversation. You're still going to have to do it. At that point, you're on. But that's when I've had conversations like, great, I just hope you know that I'm going to try to do this to the best that I can. But it's really going to affect my performance to some degree, but I'm going to give you the best I can with this time change. And I will hit your time. I will hit the, hit it on the nose because, you know, I, I will always say, if they don't have a time on stage thing, one of those time clocks where you can see it and you can look at the countdown clock, please have somebody at the back of the room, like, kind of doing it because I'm not a guy who wears watches. So these are just interesting little things that put you in those tricky situations, so to speak. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, um, saying no to things that you have control over and then adjusting the best of your ability in the moment, you know, like can't say no when you're about to walk on stage, that's for sure. But, um, saying no to something that is not in alignment, maybe even offering somebody that, you know, that could take that role better than you, it, it could be, um, really advantageous to the whole experience. Um, all right, let's talk about, um, being aligned like with the organization and your own personal values like is that can get a little tricky too especially in like the corporate world how does one navigate that in the best way possible i do a lot of questions at the beginning i can be super excited about something and then um, i want to get to know them now shame on me as a speaker if i haven't already done some of this prior to even going for a gig now, granted, somebody can approach you and you're like, oh, this sounds really good, right? But then as I'm saying this sounds really good, if I'm not doing my due diligence about an organization or a conference to kind of best understand them, then shame on me for even showing up for that initial call. But once you're into it, if things seem aligned and then some stuff comes up where you're like, okay, well, that's not really the way. I view the world or that's not really in alignment with my belief systems or, you know, we could go to the crazy space that we all get caught up in. Sometimes it could be politics. It could be beliefs. It could be any of these things that happen in this day and age. The question I always ask myself is in this moment that I get to be of service and the way I'm going to serve, how much is that going to hurt me to serve and bring myself to this audience in the way that I want to be of service? That may not completely align with their corporate values or their company values or their personal values, but I get a chance to serve in the way that I want to. And as long as I feel like I can still serve in the way that I want to, I'm probably going to do it unless there's something super extreme. If it's super extreme, I will back out. I've never had that happen. 
Mm. Yeah. Well, I think because you do your due diligence beforehand, right? That's and I think key. that's the critical mission. Mm-hmm. Don't get on a phone call if you don't even know the missions and the values of the of the company or the conference that you're about to pitch yourself for. Really important. Right. And, you know, do you, the other reason to do your due diligence is you need to understand who they are on a lot of different fronts. I know recently we had one of our speakers who found out that the company that he was going to go speak for wasn't quite on the up and up, and it turned into something really unfortunate. And sometimes we can't see that. Not in the, You can't always see what the financials are of a company or where they're going or anything like that. But do your best due diligence because you're going to protect you and you're going to protect them. And to me, I'd much rather not get on a plane and go somewhere or show up for something. And then suddenly I'm sideswiped by something that just, wow, I didn't see that coming. So kind of on you more than anything. Yeah, especially those initial phases. Like that's that's where we have a lot of control over where, what we seek. So I agree. Um, all right, let's talk something really tricky for a lot of people. Um, money, right? So you find someone who's aligned with your values. You really love the conference. You want to get the gig. You have the whole prospecting conversation. It's a go. And now you have to talk deposits and getting paid. What's the best way to navigate this tricky situation? So here's Rick's standard way of getting the deposit. So I'm really excited to get to do this. Uh, One of the things that I do is I will send you an agreement. And that agreement talks about that I take a 50% deposit up front. And the final balance is due on the day of the event. And the reason I do this is, as you can tell, I'm running a business, just like y'all are running businesses or running your nonprofits or whatever. And this helps me hold your spot. And it ensures that nobody else can take it. Plus, it gives me the working capital to prepare for your event. And the reason I need the final when I'm done is, well, when I walk out of that dealership for a car, I may be paying for it over time, but there's a money exchange that's happened. When I walk out of the grocery store and I have my basket full of food, there's a money exchange that's happened. The service, the products, the goods have been delivered. And so that's the way I run my business to get paid as a speaker. And I just want to make sure we're both on the same page. Most of the time, that's all it takes. Now, in certain areas, they will say, well, this is how we pay. Municipalities, colleges, universities, they have their payment processes. They pay on certain days, certain you know times of the month, whatever it might be. If I know that up front, then I will work around it. I may book somebody at college or university for a deposit. They say, well, we don't cut those checks until next month on this date fine. Then I write in the agreement that way that the deposit's going to happen. Maybe it's the 1st of April, but they don't cut their checks till the 15th of May. Fine. Then the deposit will be cut and sent to me on that date. I will hold the the spot given some mail time to, you know, a week after that date. At the end of it, the same thing may be happening. I may have done my talk the 15th of, you know, June but then their next cycle to pay accounts payable stuff may not be till October the 10th. As long as I understand that and that goes into the agreement, you can get around a lot of stuff. It's when it's not clear and you're not clear and they're not clear that the money deposits and getting paid can get really, really sticky. Of course, then there's what if you don't get paid? Well, folks, this is why we have agreements. I've never had to go that route, quite honestly. 
I've always gotten paid. But if you have to, make sure your agreement's tight. Speaker Lab gives you kind of a structured one to start with, but we always recommend have, have, have an attorney look at it. It will be the best money you've invested is to have an attorney look over your standard agreements, anything that you're going to put in there. If you're going to add any addendums on a regular basis, I would have an attorney on retainer to kind of review it. If it's not anything big, no, but if it's something that's a major twist in how you do your agreement, Trust me that I know none of us like to pay high dollar attorneys for stuff, but I'd much rather pay a high dollar attorney than find out, well, my agreement wasn't solid. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's really money's tricky when we don't communicate about it properly. And so having those open, honest, clear conversations with the people that we are negotiating with is critical to getting paid and getting paid in the way that you want to get paid. Of course, like you're, you're mentioning there, we have wiggle room, you know, they may have uh, different payment cycles and stuff like that. That's fine. Um, as long as it aligns, right. Going back to the first point. Um, but communication is really important. And then having that written in a document is so, so important to protect them and to protect you. Yeah. And it's not just the money stuff that's important in that document either. So even down to one of the things, and I, I think I've said this in previous podcasts, but I'm going to bring it up because I think it's worth saying again. Make sure when you put that date on your agreement, it is not just April, you know, 4 5, 2023. Put it down that the date is going to be Wednesday, April 5th, 2023. That little word of Wednesday will cover you in so many good ways because everybody's reading it's actually Wednesday the 5th. We all look at calendars wrong from time to time. Double check before you send it that it is the day of the week and the date and that you're going to be doing it. I've had a friend of mine that went through that and it was the thing that saved her on the agreement. Their meeting planner, we misread it and they booked her for what they thought was the date, but they put her on the wrong day of the week. And because of that, she was able to get out of it, so to speak, and provide him another date. But when you're a speaker who's going from gig to gig, those being that detailed will help you, as well as asking for the referrals, the testimonials, dress rehearsals, tech checks, all these sort of things that are important. Some of that's going to just show up in a rider like, hey, want to make sure I do this, make sure you know I get to have time on the stage, that there's a technical rehearsal, lighting rehearsal, depending on the size of, you know, if it's not a big thing, that's different. But if it's a major venue, I would definitely want to have my tech rehearsal and everything as part of my agreement just because you want to perform and perform really well. Include it all, get it all in there. Over communication is really important at that phase of the uh, speaking journey for sure. Um, all right, let's talk about this. You know, you're, you're running your speaking business. It's picking up momentum. You're doing all the things. You're the assistant, you're the marketing, you're the web guy, you're the, you know, the sales guy. You're spending, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week working. Um, you have no life outside of your speaking business. And it's tricky, right? Because it's a very vulnerable thing to trust somebody else with your stuff. And so now it's time to hire. And um, when when do you know when to pull the trigger? Because this is a really tough thing. I, I Coaching women in, in business everybody asks the same question. How do I know? And who do I hire? I say, listen to your gut instinct. 
whatever is putting pressure on you and your business is probably where you need the help. But also listen to yourself and don't be, well, I really like doing this and I really like doing this. I don't care what you really like doing. Should you be doing it? Ask yourself that question. So I'm going to give a real good example here because this is actually happening right now in my world. So I run a, a Facebook group for my business on the side. And I'm realizing how much time that Facebook group has taken out of my ability to run my business. And it's not getting traction. And so I'm going to get rid of it. Well, because of the way Facebook does things, they always have something weird going on. Well, the only way I can get rid of this group is I literally need to go in and delete every person who's in the group. 2,800 people. This is not how Rick should be spending his time. Now, I'm also in the space where, okay, this isn't like an urgent thing. So it's not like I'm taking time away from anything. I mean, I sat and worked on this like while I was watching TV last night, like just delete, delete, delete. But if I was running my full business, I would not be doing this task. I would also be, and I already did, I sent Facebook messages, I already got their standard. Well, this is just how it is. I would be really considering, is this even important? I'm not going to use the group, so it could just sit there for all I care. But these are the kind of tasks you have to start asking yourself. I love recording my podcast. Great. I'm the only guy who can do that. But dude, am I the only guy who can edit it? Am I the only guy who can do social media? Am I the only guy who can set up the webpage? No. But you have to be really clear when you're hiring people. And this is anybody who's hired people knows this. You have to be really clear on what it is you want them doing why they should be doing it. And then here's the hardest part, folks. If you don't create a way for them to do it, if you don't have standard operating procedures and you don't have details on how the job gets done, you are actually going to waste more time. Before you get a business thriving as you're getting it going, I know this doesn't sound like fun, document, document, document everything on how you do it. Because then when you do hire, it's like, here, this is how it's done. Rather than, okay, now I've got somebody hired. Well, great. Now i got to figure out how to tell them how to do it. <clears throat> you will save yourself time. I have documented every step of my podcast, every step of my coaching practice on how to get things done. Even though at this stage, I'm it, and I'm not trying to do that much. But man, when I had everything going, podcasts and coaching and speaking, my standard operating procedures is what helped me when I had my people assisting me. I only had two. I had a podcast guy and a <clears throat> virtual assistant kind of managing the stuff that I shouldn't have been managing. That's when you know it's time to do it, is to ask the question, should I be doing this? And who else could do it? And we talk about this a lot in module five of the course. Like, when is it time to do oh, this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we deep dive into this. Yeah, I think I think the first thing to really uh, take inventory of is every time you're doing something and you go, oh, I can't stand doing this, right? Because you may not realize it, but it's sucking energy, which is zapping your creative energy, which is really important for your speaking business. So every time you say, oh, I can't stand insert whatever posting on social media, write that down, just write it down and just know you're taking inventory of all the things that really drain your energy. And when you are ready to make that first hire, and I, and I will, I will forewarn everyone, it might not be when you have enough money to do it, by the way, 
you might need to make the hire before you have the money so that you could start making more money. Um, because it'll get to a point where the stuff that you loathe doing is taking so much of your energy that you're actually building a $10 an hour business versus a thousand dollar an hour business. Um, and so you may have to make that shift first in order to start making more money. And that could be scary, but if you know what you hate doing and you know that it's taking your energy away, you will be much more confident in making that decision. And you don't have to hire somebody full time with benefits and all this other stuff. You can hire somebody for 10 hours a week. That's a lot of hours to do these, these smaller tasks that are draining your energy. So just know that. And there's, there's so many options today with really great people um, who, are, who are experts in the things that you are not. Uh, so I, I would start there. Like, what is it every day that you do when you're like, oh, I hate doing this? I call it the master delegation list. Just start it and just start putting all those things on that master delegation list. And then you could start doing what Rick said. Okay, if I look at this master delegation list, I wrote 10 times how much I hate doing social media. So I'm going to start writing out the SOPs for my social media. Is there something else I can help Oop. with? Sorry, that's my watch. <laughs> um, I'm going to write, start writing the SOPs for social media, and I'm going to get that off my plate, even if it's just for five hours a week, but I'm getting it off my plate. Uh, so that that's a great way to start the process. I actually have a, a spreadsheet. Surprise, surprise. Mary Alice loves my spreadsheets. Um, <clears throat> but I actually have I, have, I have it in columns. It doesn't have to be a spreadsheet, but... I have, when I'm working with a client, so when I'm coaching some of my guys that are building their businesses, I say, okay, column one, what do you do that only you can do? Only Rick can record the podcast. I'm not saying record, but Rick is the voice on the podcast. So I kind of got to be there, right? So that's a, what I do that only I can do. The second column is what I do that I really enjoy doing. Third column, what I do that I don't enjoy doing. And the fourth column, what I should be doing, but I don't want to do. This really gives you that all bigger picture. And then the fifth column is what 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 somebody else could do. You're going to have those columns where, yep, I, I've got to do this. You may not like it. But if you, okay, if you're not looking at your books, shame on you. It's something you got to do. Every month, I got to run the numbers. I got to look at, okay, how much did that go out? How much came in? You got to do that. What I love doing is I love recording the podcast and editing them and doing all this stuff at this stage. I do it all myself because it's a part-time thing. But some of that I do not need to be doing, but I love doing it. What I don't like doing is I don't like hustling and trying to close deals. But guess what? I kind of need to do that sometimes. I used to let somebody else kind of get them almost to the close point. Then I'd come in and do my stuff. But the more you learn how to like segment this all out, you're going to see where you should be doing stuff, where you could be handing it off, but don't let go of the stuff that you still need to have your finger in. Most speakers ask me this one question when I'm coaching them. Well, how, how, how hard is it to have somebody else sell you? Well, it's not hard, but then does the client actually get to know you? Now, if you're Oprah, I don't think Oprah needs to have somebody sell you. They want to have her speak, right? If you're, you know, anybody, Simon Sinek, he doesn't have to be sold. People are, but if you're not at that level, you might have to be part of the sales equation. I know there's people in our team who have gotten to the point where 
yeah, they have people up front getting most of it through the doorway. And then they have that conversation when it's time like, okay, we'd really like to talk to um, your speaker about what they're going to do for our conference. That's when you step in because they want to get to know you. You can't replace you in those conversations, but you could have somebody that does a little bit of the front stuff, but at some point they're going to want to talk to you. So again, segment out what you know you can do. And there's lots of different ways to do this. In fact, um, talk to other speakers. To me, that's one of the greatest ways. Like, when did you decide to add? And what did you decide to add? Why did you add? What's your advice? Most speakers will share, you know, share some of their travels and tours of duty, so to speak, of building their speaking business. All right. Let's talk about the tricky situation where you're about to go on stage, you prepared for a 45 minute keynote and they say you need to cut it to 30. How do you navigate that tricky situation? Really know your material. I know my material really well. Um, I do not throw a fit for sure on stage. Remember, you want to be known as the speaker who's really easy to work with. And it can be, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I want to go deeper into this. If you know your material, you should be able to think really quickly on your feet. Okay, where can I cut? Now, if you suddenly are like, they told me to go from 45 minutes to 35. Okay, 10 minutes, that seems like a freaking eternity to cut out. Well, if you think about your story, the stories you're telling, you can always shortcut the stories. I always do my stories in two to three minutes. I know I can cut out about a minute out of each story. Well, if I've told four or five stories throughout the entire talk, I'll just, I'll find a minute I can shave off in every segment of the story that I'm telling. If there's a point I'm making, like I'm going to teach people how to really evaluate their values and beliefs. And in that section where I'm talking about evaluating your values and beliefs, I know that there's three supporting points that are going to help them do that. I'm literally going to think in my head real quick, which of those things can I drop? Because guess what? Whichever supporting point to that main arc point, that's at least two to three minutes of the talk. So if I just taking one thing out of that section, I've saved three minutes. Well, if I even just look at that and go, okay, if I've got three core learning, wisdom, golden nuggets that I'm dropping, if I take three minutes out of each one of those sections, I've shaved it by 10 minutes. It's a piece of cake, but don't freak out. You can make it happen. And do not, do not, and I've heard a couple of speakers do this in my days backstage. Well, maybe you should have got the other speakers to be on time. You might as well have just signed your own little death warrant right there to get back on stage. Be gracious. Be welcoming. And I always trust it as accommodating. And guess what? I'm going to learn to do my craft even better today. Smart. I think this is probably be the last one, this tricky situation. This is a tricky one, actually. This is like, oh gosh. When you find that they're using your recorded talk over and over again without your permission. This one gets asked tricky. by, that's a tricky one. This one gets asked by our speakers a lot in our community. Because some of them are getting really great deals where they're like, hey, they want to hire me. They want to record and they want to share it. Okay. Cool. Comes back to the agreement. Put it in the agreement. Now, here's the tough part. 
we really have no way to monitor how many times they're using it. Now, there are some ways you could put it behind firewalls and all this sort of stuff. So now we're talking at a, a whole nother level here of your speaking business. You could have your recorded stuff if it's being delivered virtually and you're controlling it. That's one way. You control how they get access to it. But if you're on their stage in their home turf and they're recording your stuff, you don't really have anything you can do other than in the agreement to say you Going to do this event, you have permission to use it X number of times over this period of time, but also realize how are you going to track it? I always say trust and be graceful about it. Now, if two years from now, suddenly you're somewhere and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I heard that this was just shared, I would gracefully approach the client and say, so I see this has got used. I didn't realize y'all were still using this. Sometimes. The client isn't even the client that hired you. And somebody else came on, they found something in the archives or something. I guess I would ask myself the bigger question of, how is this hurting you? Is it helping you? Is it worth the fight? Or is it not? Yeah, I think it really does come back down to that contract. Like, don't assume that, you know, if it's not, if it's not in the contract, then anything's a go. And so you have to almost think of all the unthought ofs, right? And and this comes with time, you know, so those of you who are listening going, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Well, that, that's what happens, right? You know, you build a business and you're phase one, there's a lot of lessons to be learned and that's okay. Um, but once you learn these lessons, you'll have better conversations, you'll have stronger contracts and a lot of this stuff will go away. Uh, but I really do think it comes down to don't leave anything open-ended in those contracts or anything left for assumption. If it's not in the contract, it's, it's a go mm-hmm. or it's mm-hmm. not a go, right? Depending and on watch, so, watch their contracts too, because there will be times that you're having them sign your agreement and they're having you sign their agreement. I always look at their agreements and go, how closely do they match? Oh, that's interesting. They have this in there. Hey, that would be a really good thing for me to put in my agreement in the future. If you can work it back in and say, hey, I'm going to add this to my agreement. But you don't want to do that either. You don't want to start going, oh, you had this in your agreement. Let me put it in my. Well, if you're going to do that, you all just might just come together on one agreement. But what I really like is when I get an agreement from a client and I read through it and I see something that's like, that's pretty good. I should have that. I go, I put it in pop it over to my attorney and say, hey, what do you think about me adding this into my master agreement? They give me, you know, their opinion, charge me $250 for yes. <laughs> Great, thank you. But that yes that I just paid for also upped my fee for what I'm charging now because, wow, I've got something, I got somebody who was going to pay me, you know, 7500 10000 whatever it might be. This is where your business grows and, and your worth grows. So, hey, if you're going to be charging 10K, 15K for gigs, you can well afford to have an attorney you're paying $500 for a yes answer. Yeah, you need a couple of write-offs. There's one right there. Exactly. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think with any business, there are some tricky components. I think the the, the theme of this podcast is over-communicate, really learn, don't be afraid to fail, and learn 
and then do better the next time around. But um, really over communicating on that contract is really, really important. And like Rick just said, if they're sending you a contract, because sometimes there's contracts on both ends, you want to make sure you read through it. Don't sign it because it might obsolete something on your contract. So make sure you're fine tooth comb with their contract as well. Really important. But, um, you know, you have to keep an eye out and, and eyes, eyes open and an ear out for uh, different things. And communicating is critical. Having a solid contract is critical. And so, you know, we, we definitely have one, but I agree with Rick, like get a lawyer on your side so that you can make sure that you have everything in place to protect your, yourself and your speaking business. But good stuff, Rick. Good stuff on the tricky part of the business. Yeah. Yep. Thanks for your time. And, and, and be it. open on this too, folks. Be open that it's tricky stuff mm-hmm. is going to continue to show up. So you don't, this is not a one and sure. done. Be vigilant. I mean, yeah. not like scared, but be vigilant. So, yeah. So, but thanks. Yeah. I loved having this conversation. So, yeah. It's awesome. All right, everybody. Have an awesome day. Here at the Speaker Lab, we pride ourselves on the amazing caliber and diversity of our coaching team. In addition to decades of experience and building a speaking business, each of our coaches has a unique specialty ranging from self-discovery to executive leadership, to spirituality, to marketing, to writing, and more. And so whatever path you want to forge as a speaker, you can find someone with the experience and wisdom to guide you on our coaching team. If you've ever thought about working with our incredible team, it is a great time to take the next step. So I want you to head to the Speaker speakerlab.com slash corner. Again, that is the speakerlab.com slash corner to learn more. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, our podcast is full of similar coaches, corners, episodes, interviews with incredible professional speakers, and so much more. So I want you to check it out over at the speakerlab.com slash podcast. Finally, got a huge favor to ask of you. I want you to leave us a rating or review for this show. We read every single one of them, helps other speakers find valuable free resources that they can also use to build their speaking careers. And thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you next time.